we are more aware than ever of the brokenness that exists in our world. The brokenness of our world. And that's not because I don't think that the world is any particularly more broken today than it has been in the, the near or the distant past. But we live at a unique time where the brokenness in our lives, the brokenness in our towns and our communities is multiplied by the knowledge of the brokenness right the way around the world. Through little devices, we are constantly updated with the, the sadness, the sorrows, the sins which abound in our world. Sometimes we try to live pretending as if our world isn't broken, as if everything is alright, as if things aren't falling down and falling apart around us. And we plod on happily until bang, tragedy strikes and our fragile lives come crashing down and we have to admit that this world, this life that we know, is a sadly broken thing. It will force us in those moments to ask the question, God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of my sorrow? Where are you in the midst of our suffering? Where are you when sin seems to abound and justice seems to have fled? Last week, John was with us and he was helping us to think about how God is with us in the promises. Even when things are still dark, God is a God who has said that there is light coming. And there's comfort to be taken when you know one who is able, one who is keen, has spoken and said he will be at work. Well, today I want us to consider not just God with us in the promises, but God with us in the past in a very special way. We've just listened to a song and over that song we overlaid the words of Matthew's Gospel. The beginning of the New Testament which introduces us to Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of David and gives us his genealogy, his family tree. It speaks about Abraham fathering Isaac and Isaac fathering Jacob and Jacob fathering Judah and so on until we arrive at Joseph, the husband of Mary who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. We have at the very opening of our New Testaments, the story of God to the rescue, this truth shared with us, that Jesus came and was born of Mary. It's a wonderful thing to know that Jesus is like us. That the story that we encounter at Christmas, the story that we encounter in our scriptures, is not of some distant Superman figure who has come to earth and is completely impenetrable to the ills and the ails that affect us. But that no, this is the story of the God who is Emmanuel, being with us. Later on in Matthew chapter 1, we read these encouraging words from the angel to Joseph, first uttered by the prophet Isaiah, that the virgin will become pregnant, 
give birth to a son, and his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. I wonder, does that go some way to helping us when we're forced to ask the question, God, where are you? God is with us. God is like us in Jesus. Ponder this truth, that the Son, the all-sufficient, the everlasting, the ever-existing, the one through whom and for whom all things were made became flesh and blood like you and I, utterly dependent on those around him. I wonder if you've ever really considered that that's what it means in some senses to be a human, to be dependent on others, to be dependent on things and persons outside of ourselves, to be, if I can put it in probably much more negative language, a burden. We hate the idea in our modern society of being a burden. We hate the idea of others having to spend themselves, their time, their energy, their effort for us. We don't want to receive help. We don't want to receive charity. So much so that in some nations now, they're legalizing things like euthanasia, where folks whose health, their circumstances have become such that they don't want to carry on living because they don't want to be a burden to those around them. And yet that is to deny something of our true humanity and the humanity which Christ came and took on for himself. We hate the idea of being a burden, but right there from the start, depending on one another is what it means to be human. God looked at all of creation in the beginning and the one thing that he saw and declared not good was Adam, was man on his own. The stories are, throughout the scriptures are of people who need one another, who need one another, who need the world around them, who need the God who has created them. We sometimes hear stories of people who profess themselves to be self-made millionaires, don't we? And yet that story is an utter lie. In our own country, there are people who have come and in a political sphere wanting to to decry uh, government handouts to this one or that one have said, well, I never had any help. I just pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I'm a self-made millionaire, I'm a self-made man. But it's not true, is it? Because they'll have made their businesses, they'll have made their fortunes, their empires using publicly built roads and networks. They'll have needed customers to buy into what they were doing. They are dependent on other people. The idea of being an independent person is an oxymoron. We are a burden to one another. That is not a bad thing. And what we have when we open our New Testaments, when the story of Jesus is brought to us, when we read his family tree, when we read that Mary gave birth to him, that this is God with us in the flesh, we have this truth shared that the one who existed before all other things, the one who brought all things into existence now depended. Jesus in the womb depended on Mary. 
advances in medical sciences and what have you have helped us to see just how dependent that baby in the womb truly is. How everything that it needs in order to continue to live is supplied by the mother. That whatever happens to the mother happens to the child. We know, don't we, in the negative sense that, that drinking and smoking through pregnancy can damage the baby. Well, that is because the baby in the womb is so dependent on the mother. And we know as well, don't we? This isn't through medical uh, advancements. This is just through living life that as soon as a baby is born, it is, it's not its, its own independent thing. It is still highly dependent on its parents and its family around it to feed, to clothe, to shelter, to care for. The stories we read of Jesus in his infancy is of someone who is entirely dependent. Even in that negative sense, a burden on those he's dependent on. Because Jesus has come, he put his parents in a, such a difficult situation. He was to be hunted by Herod, and so they had to flee. They had to become refugees. Life would have been so much easier for them had Jesus not come in that sense. But Jesus is so like us that he depended on others, that he was a burden upon others. And it wasn't just in his infancy. Sometimes we can have this thing, this thought, can't we? That the little children, yes, they are dependent, but what we want them to do is to grow up and to be independent. We've already suggested how that is a lie. But even in Jesus, his ministry, which is the, the focus of so many uh, chapters in the Gospels, we read of someone who truly was dependent on others. Luke chapter 8, we read about Jesus and his disciples having their needs met, their cared for, out of the own pocket of a group of women who follow them around. Or if you move towards Jesus and his crucifixion, wasn't it Simon of Cyrene who was on his way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, who was roped into this unfolding situation to carry the cross for Jesus? And when Jesus had died, didn't he need Joseph of Arimathea to come along to claim his body, to take Jesus and to bury him in his own tomb? Jesus was so like us that he depended on other people from beginning to end. From start to finish, the humanity of Jesus was like us in his dependence on others. But more than that, his humanity was like us in that he became truly fragile. Isn't this, again, another thought that we could ponder, meditate on? That the maker of heaven and earth, the maker of our very nature, stepped in and became fragile. Our fragility is seen in our world really through the lens of suffering the effects of the curse. John spoke to us last week, didn't he, of, of how sin and death and suffering entered in through the, the temptation and the fall in the garden. And forever since that point, we've been marked by our fragility. That it doesn't take much to, to affect us and to damage us physically, relationally, in so many different directions. And the story of Jesus' life is not someone who is impervious to thus the effects 
of the brokenness, but someone who, like us, was, was fragile and suffered the consequences of living in our broken world. We read story of Jesus' hungering, of his thirsting. We read stories of Jesus being rejected, of his griefs and his sorrows. When his side was pierced, it was split open and he truly bled and he truly died. Here is one who is like us, not just in his dependence on others, but in his frailty, in his fragility too. And as we're forced to ask the question when brokenness collapses all around us, God, where are you? Jesus is coming in the flesh, responds to us. I am right here beside you. I am right, God, where are you? I am right here beside you. But Matthew's genealogy is not the final word. We know that there's another genealogy in Luke's gospel, but then there's also the description in John's gospel. John's gospel, which is entirely different to Matthew or Luke, and puts it like this, that the word who was there in the beginning, the eternal word, who was with God and was God, took on flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. There's a hint of it there in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew as well, isn't there? That the virgin conceived by the spirit and gave birth to a son. He's a man, let's make no mistake about it, but Jesus is utterly unlike anyone we've ever come across. He is a man, but he is no mere man. Now, if the story simply was, here is someone who is very much like us, well then, there's the saying, isn't there, that misery loves company. So there's a sense in which we can take comfort from the fact that here is someone else, we're not on our own, depending on others, being a burden on others, and feeling the effects of the fall. But truly, isn't what we want, isn't what we need, is someone or some way to solve our problems and to put things back together again. Jesus, it says, became this fragile flesh, felt the effects of the curse, but was not broken by it, as you and I are. If we look at his life, we see that so drastically, so dramatically. He is like us on the one hand, but this spirit-born divine one who has taken on flesh is utterly unlike us on the other. Jesus, like no one before, like no one since, was righteous, was good, was whole. Not a rebel, not a sinner, not a selfish person like you and I have been on our best days. No, Jesus was just. Jesus was loving. Jesus was kind in ways that we simply cannot compare. We think of times when folks came to him and they had problems. They had stigmas. They had boils. They, ha they had things that made them separate from the world and decent society. And what did Jesus do? He went towards them. 
He drew close to them. He associated with them. He touched them even. Jesus came and he showed us and he lived a life that we just cannot find anywhere else. Sometimes we speak about people being so good at what they do that they're they're in a, a league of their own. Jesus' humanity in that sense compared to yours and to mine and the very best amongst us wasn't just a league of its own, it was a completely different sort altogether. And he said that he was the one who had come to bring mercy. That he was the one who had come to bring grace. That he was the one who had come to put that brokenness in our world, in our lives, in ourselves back together to renew and to restore what was broken. Jesus coming, the the Christmas story as we understand it, the incarnation, God with us is a story of one who is just like us and one who is totally unlike us. Come to save, come to rescue, come to restore and come to renew. So what? So what difference does that make? How does that bring us comfort when we cry out, where are you, God? Well, that's the question that the author to the Hebrews had in their mind when they wrote that letter. It's the question that they seek to answer in so much of that letter. But I love the end of chapter four of the the letter to the Hebrews, which puts it like this. Since we have this sort of high priest. Since we have this sort of Messiah, Christ rescuer, one who is able to empathize with our fragility, yet is not himself broken, then what? Do not shrink back. Do not run away. Do not flee as far as you can, but instead draw near. Come closer. Draw nearer to God, draw nearer to the throne of grace confidently to receive the mercy and the grace that you need in your hour of desperate hopelessness. See, here's the difference that it makes in our lives. The world will constantly give us opportunity to see and to understand how broken it is and how broken we are. And when we see, confront that brokenness head on, we're forced to cry out, where are you, God? And there's something in us that wants to leave it at that. A cry into an empty void and dwelling in darkness. But Christ's coming. Christ's living. Christ's depending. Christ's hurting. Christ's otherness, his perfection, they all help us to see that God is with us and God is for us even in our desperate dark situation. So brothers and sisters, as we approach Christmas, as the nights continue to get darker and longer, as the weather worsens, as our phones ping and tell us of some other tragedy as we lock ourselves in at night and we feel ashamed and we feel guilty and we cry out, God, where are you? Let Jesus' coming bring us comfort 
when he says, I am right here with you. I am right here for you. I have felt the effect and I am doing what is necessary to put it all back together again. Don't draw away from God. Don't flee from God. Draw nearer. We're so privileged in our day of age to have God's word in which we can draw near and meet face to face this this one who has always existed but who took on flesh. Sometimes we're embarrassed to come to our Bibles. Sometimes we're too ashamed to come to our Bibles. Sometimes when we come to our Bibles, we're not expecting to encounter and to meet someone who understands us, someone who is doing something for us. Draw near, the author of Hebrews says. Come to him, to that throne of grace, to find the mercy and the grace that you need. Jesus, the one who has come to us, speaks and says, come to me. Do not flee. I am right here with you, and I am right here for you. Let us ponder that this Advent season. Let us store that up in our hearts and let us cherish that. Whether we're facing a difficult situation right now or anticipating difficult situations in the new year. We know that life will throw us those curveballs, those obvious effects of the brokenness. Come to the one who came to build up, to renew, to restore and to rescue. Lord God, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that he is so like us. We thank you that he knows what it is to live in this sin-fallen, sin-affected world and yet not succumb to the temptation and the selfishness of sin, but instead offered himself as a sacrifice in our place, on our behalf, so that we could begin to be made new, that we who are far and away could come close to you and your throne. Help us to think and to ponder and to understand the fullness and the wholeness of who Jesus is, what he has done. And when we are forced to cry out, where are you, God, to listen to the answer that he supplies, to draw near in our times of need and to find grace and mercy aplenty in him. Help us, move us. We ask in his sweet and precious name. Amen.